Hey guys, it's Dalton on camera for what may be the first and only time. We'll see how this ends up. Um, I've been wanting to do some sort of quasi-video essay format for a while, something I could put on online for you guys to see and kind of uh, form a dialogue with, a little bit different than the essays I put up on my website. Um, something to just kind of get out there about a particular topic I find interesting. Um, and as it is, I am... Uh, I really only have time for comics, like making comics, so uh, the art of actually editing video and audio together into one thing, I just, guys, I just don't have the time for it. So we're going to kind of do like a vintage vlog kind of thing, and don't judge the sunglasses, I can't be bothered to learn lines today, okay? So let's just, let's just jump in. When I say the words comic novels, I'm sure the first thing that comes to mind is one of these guys. Graphic novels. Massive, complete tomes told through the beauty of sequential art. Or maybe you're thinking of these, books about famous works of comic art. But, uh, no. No, I literally mean comic novels. As in, novels based off of comic book material, brand new stories, or in some cases, straight up adaptations using characters originated in comics. All prose, next to no pictures. No panels to speak of, no dialogue and balloons, not even an onomatopoeia to break up the monotony of text. Just page after page of words, words, words. And comic novels are bizarre little things. They take a property that was originated and codified for a particular medium, and then transpose it into, at its core, the same exact medium, but not. It's not like taking The Walking Dead and turning it into a television program. That's jumping mediums completely, from one that is solely visual to one that is aural and visual. They're completely different beasts that have to operate under completely different rules. But when you go from comics to prose, well, that's still visual to visual, just not the same. It's like if Chrono Trigger was adapted to a tabletop RPG, or Green Day released American Idiot as a radio drama, or Citizen Kane was turned into a 13-episode anime. You're making a lateral move, just a few steps removed from the source enough to make something that might seem... Off. Comics and prose are both visual mediums. We can only ingest them with our eyes, but they do it in slightly different ways. Heck, since we're on the topic, I'll throw in classical art like paintings into the mix uh, so we can really break it down. So Nighthawks here is telling a story, but it's telling it with image alone. No one is talking, there are no sounds, only the name of the diner displayed on the building outside. It's moody, atmospheric, and character interactions, thoughts, feelings, all that good stuff. It's left for us to decide out here. Then, moving along the spectrum, we've got comics, where we can take those images and give them more concrete context. Characters gain voices, they move from one place to the next, and we can get more of a sense of place, time, and thought. And of course, at the other end are novels, prose, where everything is carried on the written word. There are no images to keep us company, nothing to tell us how anyone is feeling except the narrator. Every element that could be an image needs to be described, every action needs to be accounted for. Space is used for context, and dialogue is connected not through tales, but through quotations. At their core, all three of these are doing the exact same thing. Presenting information through our eyes for our brains to interpret. There are no sounds, no interactivity, just simply images. And sure, words, but words are just images we use for language at the end of the day, so let's just move on, okay? Comic novels have existed almost as long as comics themselves. In addition to pulps, which would occasionally feature prose adaptations of popular comic characters such as Flash Gordon, there were these suckers. Big little books. As you can tell, these things were made for kids. 
based on their favorite newspaper strips, such as like Mutton Jeff, Smiling Jack, Mandrake the Magician, you, you get the gist. And while not the first prose adaptations, uh, these were some of the most successful, and there were hundreds of these guys published throughout the 40s and 50s. What was interesting about the Big Little Books uh, is that while the story was built on words alone, they were still aimed at children, so pictures couldn't be too far removed. But what was different as opposed to, say, a picture book in its more traditional sense was that the images were adapting the prose in a way, uh, which is making an Ouroboros of adaptation here, but uh, we, we do need to move on. The image here is taking something like June wanting a hot bath and then turning that into an image with a descriptive caption, June had her bath. It takes the prose and turns it into essentially classical art, the still image, where a children's book can be read almost like a comic on art alone. These really couldn't be. You'd be completely lost just looking at the pictures. The story was in the text. It's a novel. And that was pretty much the state of comic book adaptations into prose for a time, adapting newspaper strips into full-on adventures, which was really something, well, novel. These characters that exist for three panels at a time, maybe ten on Sunday, could really have the chance to stretch their muscles, really let the story breathe. Some, like Mandrake here, told one long story across the breadth of the book, while, while Mutt and Jeff told little short stories every chapter. Regardless, it was a treat to see these characters you only ever really got snapshots of come to life in a full story. But, you know, with the advent of the comic book in the 30s, it was only a matter of time before our favorite heroes decided to join in on the action. Of course, the first one to get his feet wet would be the first in most respects, Superman. He jumped onto the prosaic page in 1942 with The Adventures of Superman, and, like most adaptations of the time, was incredibly important. We get the first descriptions of Krypton, the first time Jor-El became Jor-El, and a host of other cool things like Nazi spies and ghosts. All this in addition to Joe Schuster art, which is never a bad thing. But the real boom of comic book novels came in the 60s, when the renaissance of comic books was in full bloom. We've pretty much had a steady diet of comic novels since the 60s, with a huge boom in the 90s, but they pretty much become nothing more than film adaptations or children's I-can-read fair. But that just makes what we do have even more interesting. There's lots we can learn about form, craft, and adaptation by studying these tomes, and maybe find out why it always feels just a bit off to read about Titanium Man in prose, rather than see him in action. Just what is it that makes reading a novel based on, say, Green Lantern so different than reading the latest comic of the guy? Well, I think what it comes down to at the end of the day is pacing. Uh, take a look at this scene from 2019's The Green Lantern Number 1 from Grant Morrison, Liam Sharp, Steve Olyph, and Tom Orzachowski. We're treated to Hal Jordan watching as a plane passes overhead in the afternoon sky, his eyes empty and looking basically numb. No text. The art is telling us the story here. The very next page, it's evening, and the panels pan us down to see Hal in the exact same spot, still staring straight ahead. He's eventually interrupted by the arrival of Eve, his apparent two-page interest. Through the shading, the colors, we can see that the lights from the approaching car are illuminating Hal, and then, through dialogue with Eve, we can discern what's been going on. Hal's been laying there all day, something the art already established. He's recently been fired from his job pumping gas for insubordination. Then we get the hanky-panky outside, and we cut to seemingly the next day with Hal on the side of the road with a sandwich. All of this happens over the course of five pages, and in them we get to see Hal in a low point of his life, wondering how he can't seem to hold a job when his first love, being Green Lantern, always comes first. We even get this one single panel of a smiling Hal saying, Yeah, I know. I hate me too. The smile is so pained, telling us that Hal has been through this over and over, and he knows it's the worst, but there isn't anything he can do about it. This is just the kind of guy Hal is. 
Throughout this scene, we get an insane passage of time, a conversation, and then boom, we're on to the next scene. Character moments, movement through the scene, it's all here, like film, but static, silent, paced. Now let's jump over to the third book in the 2004 Green Lantern Sleepers trilogy from Christopher J. Priest and Mike Barron. We get a similar interesting scene of Carol Ferris, Hal's one true love, preparing to end the evening with another test pilot, a man named Everett Scorpio Holtzman. She's trying to make Hal jealous, see? because he's currently the Spectre and visits her every night, and she can totally tell because she was dead at one point, and that's some- You know what, we're getting into the weeds with some comic bullshit, so let's just check the scene out, okay? First, it should be noted that the scene in question spans almost 12 pages, an immediate flag. Everything is drawn out here, from the descriptions to the internal musings of the three characters, to the actions themselves. We don't even get into the bulk of the scene until the third page, with the preceding two setting up the scene itself with descriptions of the apartment, the characters, and how they're currently feeling. An entire paragraph is dedicated to describing Everett, making sure we understand just what kind of guy he is and just how little he matters. A bottle blonde, ripped with Bali's 24 fitness muscles. Everett was the kind of overly pretty guy who was so vain, it was hard to believe he was straight. Bagging his boss at Ferris Aircraft was the ultimate trophy for a guy like Scorpio. A Tom Cruise wannabe with visions of Kelly McGinnis melting in his arms. A guy who cleaned his nails obsessively and paid too much for haircuts. It's important to note that the narration is done by Hal Jordan himself, which really sells us on how much we shouldn't like this guy. Narration is an interesting point when it comes to prose as well, as the type of narrator, uh, whether reliable or otherwise, can really impact how a reader interacts with the story. Comics tend to have omniscient narration, as the images are mostly carrying the bulk of the narrative. Now, this one paragraph is, essentially, a panel in a standard comic, and we can take in all of that information there in a fraction of the time it takes to read about it here. Bits of dialogue are broken up to describe how what was said influences how the characters are feeling. Like here, when Carol exits her bathroom. So, Everett, wanna hit the rack? Carol blithely announced as she marched into the cavernous living room. My eyebrows are growing together and I've got spinach stuck between my teeth, but if you can get past that, we can bring a vote to the floor. Everett, no West Wing fan, had no idea what bringing a vote to the floor meant, but he got the general idea. And he could care less about the spinach. But when dialogue is allowed to just flow, like in a film or comic, it can run the risk of becoming confusing in prose, where the lack of balloons or visuals make it so we aren't entirely sure who's talking anymore, like this conversation between our two characters. What's wrong, he asked. Who said anything was wrong? Why did you stop? I didn't stop. You stopped. I stopped because you stopped. I never started. You started without me. You said I could. Yep. But you didn't mean it. Oh no, I meant it. But you're just sitting there. What's it matter? You got a green flag. What's it matter to you what I do while you do what you do? We're also treated to bits of italics, which indicate to us the internal thoughts of the characters, which are distinctly different than what the narrator tells us they're feeling, since, again, the narrator is Hal. These italics are more personal, sarcastic, real in a sense, than what the narration could convey. When Carol begins clamoring on about Hal's backstory as a Green Lantern and Spectre host, we're given a glimpse into Everett's mind as he thinks, maybe if I jump, she'll stop talking. It all ends with Carol nearly throwing Everett off of the balcony and throwing him out of the apartment entirely, because she can't stand knowing that Hal is always creeping in her apartment. She never wanted Everett in the first place, but she just can't stand knowing Hal is there and her plan completely backfired. Now, with all of that said and done, we can clearly see that it's, well, it's a lot. And the pacing is severely affected by it, but not necessarily in a detrimental way. Prose functions as a way to slowly take in the world presented. 
Kinetic action scenes tend to fall away due to the inherent nature of the medium. Which is why I think prose isn't necessarily the best choice when adapting something like comic book characters into something else. Yes, they're the same visual medium, but the differing media they were born in means they have different rules that make them function at their peak. Comic books use images to convey action, emotion, direct the pace and feel of each scene. At the end of the day, the words are just there to contextualize what's happening, maybe even getting a sense of the inner thoughts of the characters or provide a sense of narration. They move fast, with 20 pages giving us potentially dozens of scenes with hundreds of characters. Prose doesn't have that luxury. The prose scene we went over takes up the same page real estate as half of a standard comic and covers only one small scene within. This is helped by the fact that there's an entire novel of stuff left to read, but taken into context of scene by scene, the two can't compare. It's meant to be ingested slowly, over a long period of time, and comics just simply aren't. One thing prose does have going for it that comics might not, though, is that internal exploration of character we talked about earlier. A prose piece can devote an entire paragraph to explaining just how a character feels about a certain situation, whereas a comic can only devote so much real estate to the same. Comics have to use subtlety in its art and text to make sure you're aware that Hal Jordan really hates himself in one panel so that we can get on with the rest of the story. Prose can really explore those underpinnings in a more profound way, and if the writer isn't a hack, can make sure we're not beat over the head with how the character feels and actually feel it along with them. I know I've often wished for a longer period of time to explore certain character dynamics or emotions in my comics that the 20 pages we get a month just simply can't allow. Prose is a good way to actually get into the meat of some of that stuff, and especially if it's a direct adaptation like, say, New Avengers Breakout, you get to take something you've already seen and have it expounded upon for better or, or worse. There's an art to taking a visual medium like comics and shifting them slightly to turn them into the visual medium of prose. You don't have all the same resources, you don't have the same amount of time to convey what you'd like, but something special can happen when you try that I don't think too many people appreciate. I'm not going to blame you if comics without pictures aren't your bag. Heck, I tend to be one of them myself, but maybe give one of them a shot sometime. Find a favorite character and really take your time with them. You might find that when you slow it down, there might be a brand new world for you to discover.